Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am your host today, Paige Niedringhouse, and I am joined by our panelist of guests, Jack Harrington. Hello. And TJ Vantol. Hey everybody. And our special guest today is Charles Max Wood. Welcome, Chuck. Hey, it's good to be back. Good to have good you to with have us. You. Yeah. Returning champion, Charles Maxwell. <laughs> <laughs> How much has he won last week? <laughs> Something like so, that. So, Chuck, <laughs> what is our topic for today going to be? This episode is sponsored by Sentry. Sentry is the thing that I put into all of my apps. First, I figure out how to deploy them. I get them up on the web. Then I run Sentry on them. And the reason why is because I need to know what's going on in my app all the time. Yeah, I'm kind of a control freak. What can I say? The other reason is, is that sometimes I miss stuff or I run things in development, you know, it works on my machine. We've all been there, right? And then it gets up in the cloud or up on a server and stuff happens and stuff breaks, right? I didn't configure it right. I'm an idiot and I didn't put the AWS credential in. I didn't do that last week, right? That wasn't me. Anyway, I need that error reported back. Hey, Chuck, I can't connect to AWS. The other thing is, is that this is something that my users often won't give me information on, and that's, hey, it's too slow, it's not performing right. And I need to know it's slowing down because I don't want them going off to Twitter when they're supposed to be using my app. And so they need to tell me it's not fast enough, and Sentry does that, right? I put Sentry in, it gives me all the performance data, and I can go, hey, that takes three seconds to load, that's way too long, and I can go in and I can fix those issues, and then I'm not losing users to Twitter. So. If you have an app that's running slow, if you have an app that's having errors, or if you just have an app that you're getting started with and you want to make sure that it's running properly all the time, then go check it out. They support all major languages and frameworks. They recently added support for Next.js, which is cool. Visit sentry.io slash signup and use promo code REACTROUNDUP. That's all one word, REACTROUNDUP, for three free months of their base team plan. Well, to give a little bit of background, I kind of get asked two questions on a regular basis. And one of them we're not going to talk about. That is, Chuck, how do I start a podcast? The other question <laughs> that we are going to talk about is, how do I stay current, right? How do I keep up on all the stuff that's going on? And specifically, I really want to talk about how do you learn new things, right? So once you know what to learn, then how do you pick it up and make sure that you're up to date on it? So that is a huge and broad ranging topic. Do you want to start us off with some of the advice that you typically like to give out? Yeah. So the first thing that I tell people when we start having this conversation, by the way, I'm, I'm working on a course on this. You'll be able to find more information about it on, at topendevs.com. Just get on the email list and then I'll email you when it's out. But because I do have a process for it, we'll talk through a, a lot of it on here, I think. But the big thing is that people see like just this fire hose of stuff coming out. You know, they watch Reddit or they'll watch the React conference or whatever, and they'll see just all this new stuff coming down the pipe. Or they'll hear about this library that's been around for five years that it seems like everybody's been using but them because they weren't up to date on it, right? And so they're feeling a little inadequate because it's, well, this is common knowledge and I didn't. So am I behind the times? And the, the reality is, is that you're never going to be able to keep up on all of it, right? You know, I see people do the same thing with like JavaScript, right? <laughs> Which is an even broader set of things. And it's, wow, you know, now you've got TypeScript in the mix or testing libraries or whatever. And it's, oh my gosh, all this stuff is coming my way. And so typically what I tell people is the first thing you need to do is figure out how to eliminate stuff, right? What is the stuff I don't have to learn? Right. And that generally boils down to, hey, where do you want to end up? Like, where are you heading in your career? What 
what kind of a position do you want? What kind of notoriety do you want? What kinds of things then do you have to learn in order to get to where you want to go? And that generally helps people eliminate a wide breadth of things and let and lets them really boil things down to, hey, this is the stuff I need to learn. And sometimes it's, a lot of times it's technical stuff, right? It's, oh, well, I want to be able to contribute to my team in this way. And so they'll pick up like Docker or Webpack or something like that, right? Where it's solving a problem where they're at. And sometimes it's, hey, I want to be the person with the encyclopedic knowledge of all things React. And so they'll go and they'll actually just grind through all of the documentation for the React library. And then they'll go grind through all the documentation for some of the other things that make up their stack. Some people, they're looking for more more notoriety. You know, they want to get well-known. And so then we're talking about podcasting or YouTubing or speaking at conferences or something like that. And so those might be the skills they pick up instead of the technical skills or in addition to the technical skills. And then the other thing that I tell people, because a lot of times this gets discounted, is that I find that most opportunities that open up for people. So if you kind of have this idea of where you want your career to be in like three to five years, and a lot of people will balk at this, by the way, their objection is, well, I have no idea. That's fine. Kind of figure out what you think you want and just be okay with in three months going, you know what? I started heading down this road and it's not where I want to go. And so I'm going to adjust and then start learning something else. That's totally fine. You don't you don't really lose ground doing that. But if you can do that, then you can start ticking this stuff off. But I found that most opportunities that I've gotten through my career and throughout my time as a programmer have come from other people. And so you need to spend at least 25% of your time learning soft skills, learning how to work with others, meet other people, network with people, uh, get along with the people you work with because they're going to be the ones recommending you or moving on to the next job and then coming back to you and saying, hey, this place is great. Come along. So anyway, that's that's kind of the advice that I give people is figure out where you're headed and then you can kind of backfill what you need to learn in order to get there. Yeah, I especially like the bit you said about sifting through the noise or everything out there because I feel like imposter imposter syndrome also plays a role in this because mm-hmm. we just as as humans, we sort of get the sense when we see this information that, oh crap, everybody else knows all this stuff, right? They they understand all this stuff in these newsletters I'm seeing on these podcasts when the reality is most people don't. Like people have their specializations, they have their their bits they're under they understand. So just because you don't understand everything, like that's totally okay. Most of us that have been doing this for a long time don't understand much of anything. Any like we did, we have our specialties. <laughs> we have things. We have things we know and we don't know. But it's a hard lesson to learn, though. And I like I'm still learning it as well. I still have to fight that tendency to think something new comes out, and I my brain goes like, oh, I I, I need to know this. But you come over time to learn, like, well, you really don't, unless like you said, it's somewhere you want to go or something that's pertinent to some project or something you're working on. Otherwise, maybe just learn the synopsis or like the very, very high level overview of what this is and just leave it at that. I think that that's a great way to to talk about it, TJ, because when I I remember when I first started getting into coding and tech and I had my first job out of boot camp, I was still super jazzed about learning everything. I wanted to learn more Python. I wanted Mm -hmm. to learn more JavaScript. I had heard about Go and that seemed cool. And then when I got to my final, my actual job, it was like, we use Java on the back end. We use JavaScript and Angular on the front end. And that's really what you will need to know. Your Bash skills will not help you here. Your Python <laughs> skills, we don't use Python. So actually figure out what is what is it that your team is using or what is it that your company needs from you. And that's really a, 
a much better way to kind of hone in on what kind of skills you need to learn and you need to brush up on. And then even from there, I figured out pretty quickly that Java really wasn't my cup of tea, that I really enjoyed the front end side of things a lot more. So I started going a lot harder into that than I did working with Java. I mean, I can get by in it, but if you had put me in front of either a JavaScript editor or a Java editor, I was absolutely going to gravitate towards the JavaScript one. And so that's what I put a whole lot more time and energy into because I knew that that was what I wanted to do as my primary or my full-time kind of focus was front-end stuff. And so that was that helped make that decision easier and figure out where I wanted to put my time and energy towards a lot more. And knowing yeah. when to learn things is really important because you got to get the timing right. It's got to be something that is tactically important to you. Like I'm learning this for a reason. And also, I think there's a mindset issue here too. I think people can can burn out on learning. If you try and do what Paige did with that, I want to learn Go and I want to learn this, you know, I want to learn JavaScript, <laughs> I want to learn Java, and I want to learn Python. And you're just, you're, you're crunching so much in your brain. Your brain's like, no, stop. And that's terrible. That's a terrible place to be in because it's learning should be fun, you know, and that it's much more enjoyable when you, when you learn some stuff and you create some stuff out of it and you take some pride in that. And that's a really important thing too, is to create once you learn. And so being in that spot of knowing this is the point at which I want to learn Java because it's critical to what I want to do. That's, that's really critical. Yeah, it's, it's interesting kind of the arc that you the three of you have followed as you've talked about this because uh, TJ talked a little bit about imposter syndrome and Jack talked a bit about sort of the adventure you go on as you learn. And I've, I've kind of done both where I've learned stuff just so that I can cover for feeling a little inadequate when I show up to stuff. I, I can talk intelligently about it and, and kind of cover for the fear or anxiety that I have, right? and not feel like an imposter, or at least not let them know that I feel like an imposter. Um, and I've also, and and I found that this is a tendency lately, is I want to learn stuff because it's a grand adventure, right? It's, you know, go explore, you know, what this thing does and and how it works and 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 what it offers and things like that. But, but you're right at the same time, Jack. And this kind of hits home for me right now because uh, currently I, I've been programming in Ruby on Rails for like 15 years. And it's funny because Paige was talking about, I gravitate to the front end. And I'm like, I don't gravitate to the front end. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Rails does that for you. Yeah. Well, That's the whole point. Sorry. We're having a debate at work right now about whether or not to use React. So, and I, I am the voice of reason that's telling them not to. So, anyway, uh, but that's another conversation. Anyway, yeah, this podcast. Yeah. I think that you're, man, you invited you on. <laughs> right. <laughs> I just don't think we need it. But anyway. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> It's not the right hammer for every nail. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, okay. All what's, right, what's interesting about it is that where I'm sitting at right now, I'm finding that Ruby on Rails projects at this point tend to gravitate a lot more toward legacy apps, right? Because it's been around long enough now to where it's running larger systems that have been around for a while and we're, you know, we're maintaining these kinds of things. And I don't really love those projects to be honest, right? I, I'm I'm adventure boy. I want to go and I want to explore new stuff. I want to break stuff and then go, oh my gosh, I'm going to go hike up this mountain and fix it, right? And so lately I've been learning Elixir because Elixir 
is at that other stage, right? It's a newer language. It's a newer ecosystem. And so it offers those kinds of things. And so, Jack, your point on timing, I think, is really important because as you see some of these opportunities come in, it may not be that the technology is necessarily at star is or it's, yeah, at star is setting, but it may be, hey, the kinds of opportunities that are offered here are no longer the kinds of opportunities that I want to pursue. And so, again, you know, you may have those opportunities or you may just be looking for that opportunity to go learn something new and kind of have that journey, have that process and see what's there. And I think understanding those tendencies that you have, whether it's covering for feeling inadequate or whether it's, hey, I'm looking for a new adventure and then figuring out if the timing fits. I think that's all really important to figuring out, Okay. Now, what do I go learn? Oh, I think that that's a huge one. For me, where I was working, I was formerly with the Home Depot. Home Depot is such a large organization that even though there are lots and lots and lots of developers working with all different types of languages, it's very easy. And it, it happens most of the time that you get on your team and that is all that you're doing. You know, you're you have a very small narrow swim lane of what is what your applications are built with and what you're maintaining and what your tech stack is. And it's great because you have the opportunity to go really deep into those technologies and get really really proficient with them. But if you're the type of person who likes to learn new things and try different techniques and see how different languages and frameworks do it, it's probably not going to take too long before you start to get a little bit bored with what you are given the opportunity to work with. Mm -hmm. Whereas the startup that I joined in the last couple of months, and now TJ has joined as well in a different position, it's like we have completely different... We have different front-end frameworks. We're using Hugo for one. So I'm learning about Go in a templating format. We're using Next.js for another. So I'm getting to still flex my React skills in that regard. But we have things that are... you know, I'm learning about SEO. I'm learning about how to server-side render stuff that we've never had to deal with before. I'm learning about all these different cloud application platforms that I never had the chance to work with or how we funnel data from one platform into another with this aggregator called Segment. So Mm -hmm. there's a whole lot more variety just because it's a much smaller company Mm -hmm. and there are so many different needs that are competing to be the number one priority that you put your attention on. So it's definitely when you decide that you want to learn something new, that's definitely something to keep in mind is what what size is your organization that you're currently working with? Is there the opportunity to swap teams or help build something new? Or is it really like, this is where you're at and this is where you're going to stay unless you really, really do something to motivate yourself and move either move teams or move orgs or or Mm -hmm. level up in some other way. Yeah, I've experienced that. The other thing that I want to throw in, though, is that sometimes it also works in your favor if you can get the company you're working at to clear space so you can go deeper instead of wider. And so what that looks like is, can I performance optimize this particular aspect of what I'm doing? Or can I dive more into the security aspects of what we're doing or things like that? But yeah, one way or the other, at least for me, I'm consistently looking for that that new rush of learning something new. And sometimes it's deeper and sometimes it's wider. And and yeah, the smaller companies, I, I've worked at a couple of startups. And yeah, it's like, we have a problem. We don't have the right person to solve it. And so all of a sudden, you become the right person to solve it. That's fun. It's interesting, Paige, you mentioned like segment. I kind of keyed on that for a second because it's that's like, 
seeing the tip of the iceberg of this massive world of business analytics. It's like, you know, oh, okay, I can it would instrument my, my code by adding, hey, the user clicked on this button. And then you start going down this rabbit hole of, oh, wait, oh, we can put a graph on that. Oh, and then business wants to look at it this way. And, and you start seeing this like tiny little skill that ends up like opening up this huge ocean of like business intelligence and how to manage and how to talk to people in, in the in business worlds and business terms. So it's it's really interesting. Think about how like like little skills can actually you start thinking you know everything and then whoops, you're actually in this massive space and it's like, wow, I almost know nothing about this. <laughs> I mean, not that you don't know anything. I'm just saying like that's that was when my experience actually with segment. Yeah. And I think like in general, it's usually try to encourage people that try to learning should be interesting and fun just in general. Like we, there are so many choices out there for ways to learn, whether it's on the job experience or courses or podcasts, YouTube, whatever, right? There's podcasts. Yeah. YouTube, YouTube. (laughs) There is a lot out there. So if you're trying to learn something in your board, you're, I would consider other options, right? Whether it's something else at your company that, like you said, either like making space at your company to try something new or finding a different company or find a different way of learning a different platform. I mean, most of us got into software development because there's some level of fun we have from creating, right? Like there's, mm-hmm. there's something in the, I found over the years that the more I can tap into that and find the true reason I'm doing this, just the, the happier I am and also the more productive I am as well. The more I'm shipping, the more value I'm providing. So it's it's also something that's easier than said than done. Like oftentimes you run into real world realities. Like sometimes it's hard to switch jobs or ask for different things at your role. Like, so I'm not saying it's easy, but if possible, it's worth trying to uh, fight if you find yourself in sort of a boring situation from a learning perspective. That's yeah. such a good, yeah. I mean, that that is such an important part of it, TJ. It's either that. So it's it's kind of twofold. It's like knowing what your learning style is. Because I, yep. for me in particular, it's like I can read some code that somebody has written a course about, or I can watch a video, but unless I'm actually typing and doing it and breaking it in the browser myself, I'm probably not really going to retain it for very long, if at all. So for me, it's like I know I've, I've figured out how I learn best. And it's usually by doing and kind of following along with somebody. But I know a lot of people get a huge amount out of, you know, videos or live coding or Twitch streams or all different types of things. So it's really, it's not only figuring out like, what do you want to learn, but how do you learn it best? I think. I think it's universal that everybody... And when you're making things, you have to make the things, right? It's one thing to watch a video on chainsaw juggling. It's another entire thing (laughs) to juggle some running chainsaws, right? (laughs) You actually have to go and do it. And that's one of the things that I find when folks talk to me about what they've seen on my YouTube videos or whatever, is that you have to go and do it, right? It's not enough to watch somebody do it. You have to put the fingers on the keyboard and actually do it. Yeah, the the analogy that I make. So in 2019, I ran a marathon. I'm actually training for a triathlon now, but I haven't actually. Hey, congrats! But um, in tw- so I started running right, and what you figure out as you go longer and longer distances is just like, oh, now I need. I'm running out. I'm hitting the wall ten miles or whatever, right? 
And so you go and you either get a coach or you have somebody that's going to answer some of these questions. But you don't actually know what the problems are until you go do it, right? It's, um, okay, now I'm running 15 miles and I'm starting to have this other issue. The issue that I had was that I had skid rubbing together in certain places. And I there was stuff that you can put on it that makes it so that it, when it rubs together, it doesn't rub you raw, right? And so, you know, just stuff like that. And so as you go through it, you're going to run into specific things and that's part of the learning process. But the other thing is, is as you do it, your your brain starts, you know, building the pathways in your mind. You get the muscle memory, you get all of those things working for you so that as you do it over and over and over again, it sticks with you. And so that's that's absolutely true. The, the rest of it is, okay, now how do I get the knowledge of how to do it into my head, right? And so Paige talked about, hey, I'm going to follow along with something, you know, whether it's a written or a video tutorial, right? Maybe I'm just trying to get the, the gist of how this thing works. And so conference talks are really great for that. Podcasts are really great for that. Some YouTube's videos are really great for that, depending on how they're set up and what their purpose is. Other YouTube videos really are a walkthrough or they're a deep dive into concepts. So you have a whole bunch of different, to TJ's point, you have a whole bunch of different resources out there. And I really advocate that you use them all, right? And so if there's something that you want a deep knowledge of, honestly, picking up a book is probably one of the better ways to go because they it is a deep treatment of the topic, right? And they're going to explain things at a different level than a blog post will. If you're trying to figure out if it's something you want to learn, though, a conference talk is a great way to get introduced to it. And then you can evaluate whether or not it's a road you want to go down. And so, yeah, when I talk to people, I'm always saying, look, find the videos, find the conference talks, find and and make a plan. That's the other thing is make a plan and say, okay, I'm really going to understand Webpack. So I'm going to go you know, maybe watch one of the maintainers speak about what's new in Webpack. And then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to go through this video course and I'm going to do a a Webpack setup. And I'm going to go read the latest Webpack book because the tutorial is, here's how you get this thing stood up. But the book is, here are all the underlying concepts that you might need to understand in order to really make it sing for you. I'm going to go listen to the podcast because I'll get perspective from people who really get it. I'm going to go watch some other videos where they explain this piece or that piece. And and so that way I'm getting this complete picture in my head. And then I'm going to go and I'm going to do a whole bunch of Webpack config so that I get it, so that I get the practice. And I think all of that comes together. It's kind of like when you play a sport. In high school, I was a swimmer. Currently, I I really enjoy watching soccer. But soccer, you watch those guys run up and down the field. But it's it's a mental game, right? It's, It's understanding, okay, it's open over here. I can pass it up here. I have enough room. I think I can shoot for a goal. I can pass it to them. They can pass it up here. I'm thinking about, you know, how this all plays together. And so if you don't have the mental picture of what you're doing, then a lot of times your practice is going to miss specific things that are going to pay off for you. I like how you separate sort of the, the high, like the sort of, let me get the gist of this learning versus the deep dive learning. Cause that's something I, I find that I do a lot of as well. And I also tend to agree conference talks and podcasts because Lots of times I just want to make a mental note of like, okay, this is what this is. This is what problem it solves. So that if I run into that problem for whatever work or Mm -hmm. who knows what that I have in my back of my head, okay, I saw this once and then I can take it from there. And that's a completely different mode. And that's most of what I do, right? If I'm looking, 
I'll just casually skim things like podcasts, newsletters, conference talks, things like that. But I don't use that material usually if I really, really want to learn something. Then I'll look to courses or books or something that's a little bit more meaty. And it's like, okay, now I, I need to build something. I need something that's going to dive a little bit deeper. So it's, it's almost like my brain has two different modes for categorizing that sort of stuff. Well, one thing that I've noticed is that one, well, one thing that we haven't really touched on yet is that another way to, to learn or to figure out where your knowledge gaps might still be is to try to teach somebody else, whether yes, <laughs> yes, yes, reacting. Yes. Oh my God. Yes. So whether it's just, you know, doing a pull request review on one of your dev team members, PRs, looking at their code and making suggestions or working through a bug, trying to figure out something with one of your team members. That's a great way to figure out how much you really understand the material that you're looking at. And another one that is a lot more involved and takes a lot more effort is trying to either write about it, like writing a Medium article or a blog article or making a video or writing a conference talk, giving a meetup type of lightning talk. Those are all really, really, really good ways to really learn your subject. Because if you don't know it and you're up there and somebody asks a question or writes a comment, you better know your stuff. <laughs> yep. And a nice easy yep. way to get into that is to take advantage of what some companies do around brown bags, which is there's this thing where you have a lunchtime thing. Maybe it's nowadays it's like a Grubhub. Everybody gets money for Grubhub. And then, you know, you have a Zoom talk at lunch and you talk about how to use Webpack as an example in your environment and what you learned. And it's much safer. You know, you're talking to a group of 10 folks and they're not going to get up in your grill about like your presentation skills or whatever. But it does give you a chance to kind of organize your thoughts, organize it all and and, and get it and present it in a way where it's contextual. It makes sense for you and your company. And you are learning how to present that skill and learning through organizing it you know, what are the gaps that I'm missing? And then you also get some feedback from folks about, hey, okay, so what, let's go and bring that in or here's how we're going to use it here. It's it's really good. So yeah, definitely take advantage of those brown bags if you can get that going too. It's amazing how trying, it's amazing how trying to explain a concept that you think you understand to other people can totally just mess with your brain and, and be a realization <laughs> of how little you actually understand it. It's very humbling. I'm going to start yeah. the chainsaw now before <laughs> <Yeah>. the <laughs> juggling. When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates, and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire. They're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Yeah, one one thing I'm just going to add to that. So my version of this, because I've did, i only worked at one company that did brown bag lunches, was I just did the users groups. 
And a lot of mm. times they would just get up and they'd say, hey, Chuck's going to give our Ruby basics or whatever basics our primer talk this month. Right. And so everybody knew, hey, he's not going deep on the Redux blah, blah, blah algorithm, like the guts of the thing, you know, whatever. It's going to be, hey, here's what a reducer is. Right. And people will get it. Right. And instead of trying to, you know, and, and so you can start out that way. And then as you go deeper, then it's, hey, you know, I, I wrote this uh, plugin for whatever, or I wrote a plugin for Webpack. You know, if we're talking about that, I wrote a plugin for Webpack and here's how I did it. Right now it's like, oh, well, that's and maybe it's not it, it always turns out to be not as complicated as you think. But for those kinds of things, they usually make it pretty easy. But you get the idea. Right. And so then as you go deeper, then you can go deeper with that stuff. My version of this was always to do a podcast. Well, not always. I did a screencast <laughs> for a while too, but yeah. Well, and oh, oh. Uh, also learning, like, don't be afraid of doing things like presentations and such. Cause I mean, that's also part of your skill set as well. That's not yeah. really worth ignoring because being good at presenting something is more like you don't have to aim to be the next great conference tour to be good at it because those same sort of skills help you make a convincing point in a meeting. So like things like that are important outside of the context of just being a tech speaker. Absolutely. Yeah, just well, being able to communicate clearly to a teammate or to a manager or to a business partner. Those are skills that help you go from your current position to a higher one because you can help somebody else understand the point that you're trying to make or get across. That's huge. That's really, really important. Yeah, well, and I think it's also interesting that let's say that you're just doing this through mentorship, right? It's all one-on-one. You're not even doing like a formal presentation. I mean, how much more valuable are you to the organization you're in if you can disseminate critical ideas to another member of your team? And then maybe they disseminate it to somebody else or you do it one-on-one with every member of your team or most of your team. I mean, it just adds a ton of value. You And then people want you to be around, right? Because you're lifting the whole team. It's not just, hey, Jack's getting his stuff done every every week, but Jack's getting his stuff done and he's helping everybody else deliver at a higher level. Yeah. One of the best pieces of advice that a, one of my previous coworkers gave me who was always my senior. He was a senior engineer when I joined, then he was promoted to staff. And then just recently he became an engineering manager, was kind of the rising tide lifts all boats. So whenever you had the chance to pair with him, it was awesome because you learned so much from him just by coding together or being able to ask questions. And those are the kind of people that you want to be around. Those are the people that you want on your team. Those are the people that you want to work with actively because you learn from them. And so being able to do that and be that person, that is huge. That is worth way more than people, I think, give it credit for. Yeah. And that goes back to the idea that 25% of your learning time should be on soft skills. And, and the reason is, is because it, it's an extremely valuable. And anymore, I mean, I see a few lone wolf freelancers or maybe, you know, people in a startup as they're just kind of getting things going, but everybody else is on a team. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So if you're focusing more on the soft skills, we've talked a good bit about how to level up your your technical skills or learn about those. What advice do you have for getting better at the soft soft skills? So it's kind of funny because people kind of get into this place where it's like, nobody talks about soft skills. And the reality is, is that 
nobody talks about soft skills in the programming community. <laughs> like everybody, they call it something else everywhere else. Okay. So they call it leadership skills or business skills or communication skills. And there are zillions of books and other resources out there on this stuff, right? You just have to figure out what the business world calls it and then go learn it, right? One of my favorite books, honestly, if you're looking for, hey, you know, how do I figure this crap out? It's called The 360 Degree Leader. And I, I can't remember the name of the author. I'll look it up here in a second and give it to you. But anyway, it's a leadership book. But the focus is, is how do you manage down? So how do you manage the people below you? How do you manage laterally? So how do you manage toward the people who are not directly under you, but at the same level as you? And then how do you manage up? And what's interesting about it, at least from my perspective, is that even if you don't have anybody working below you, right, if you're not a team lead or whatever, you still have responsibility to the people that you're mentoring or helping out on your team. And some of that stuff is applicable there. But all the rest of it, managing laterally and managing up, everybody does that. I mean, even the CEO of your company, he manages up to the board. So, I mean, or owners or whatever. If the CEO is the owner, then he's managing up essentially to himself as the owner. And as, as he steps from one role to the other, or she steps from one role to the other, there are certain expectations that go back and forth. And so you really do have to think about these things. And it'll teach you a lot of the skills that you need just to interact with other people. But if you're finding you're struggling communicating with other people, go find communications training, go join Toastmasters, go whatever. If, if it's more on the, the level of, hey, how do we all collaborate more, right? It seems like everybody goes off to their silos and then comes back. Well, there's all kinds of stuff about collaboration out there. You know, the, the norming, storming, I can't remember all the words, but the, the, there's a whole bunch of literature about that. If you're in a leadership position, I mean, there's a ton of stuff about leadership. And so the soft skills, there's probably more stuff out there for soft skills than there is about technical skills. It's just not geared toward programmers. And so the programming community doesn't really talk about it. But there's, a, like I said, there's a ton of terrific stuff out there for it. I think the key learning around public speaking, which is what you'll get when you do Toastmasters or, you know, a community college course on that or, or improv, there's a lot of great, that's a huge area and it's really fun, is that to make things engaging for the listener, you actually have to empathize with the listener, you have to think about what they want to hear and how they want to hear it presented and the problem that they're trying to solve. And that underlying empathy skill is just so important. It's fundamental to all of these skills. It's fundamental to leadership. It's fundamental to management. It's fundamental to public speaking. You know, you got to get that empathy muscle built up. And it's just a great thing to have as a human. You know, just to be a more just, just kinder and gentler person, you know, you know, and, and Paige mentioned, you know, working with somebody was really fun for her collaborating with that person. And that's because, you know, they weren't thinking about lording their knowledge over that person or they weren't like that was not that wasn't the goal. The goal is to share knowledge, to to understand how Paige thinks about the world and try and put things in her context. I mean, that's that's fun. And, it, and it's a fun thing to do. And, and it's a good, it's a good thing to feel, you know, when you, when you get there. Yeah. And yeah. On the, on the like public speaking, and this would also apply to writing side of the soft skill world, the whole practice makes perfect mantra applies just as much to that stuff as it does your coding. Like the first line of code you write, you probably would be ashamed of at this point. Well, like <laughs> the first talk 
you ever give is going to be bad. Uh, the first time you try to write a blog post about something, or you try to even write like a long email to your team, you're probably not going to be great at it at it first, but you get better just by doing it. Uh, you get better by looking at other stuff that you like and trying to replicate that or try to trying to mirror that in your own sort of style and way. But it comes from practice. So you just got to try to not see it as intimidating and just go for it. Because until you do, you're not going to find yourself improving. Yeah, I want to point out, though, that speaking is not a it's not a soft skill. It's a technology. It's a technical skill. It's not a technology <clears throat> skill, but it's a technical skill, right? There are techniques, there are strategies, there are things that empirically will improve your speaking. But going back to the idea of like empathy and just how you interact with people and your ability to listen and things like that. Yeah, there are strategies there too. And there are some technical aspects to it. But what I find is that a lot of people, they, they just either have an intuitive grasp of how to do it or they don't. And but it can be a learned skill. And I know that there are people that are listening that are going, you know, I'm not naturally empathetic or I'm not I don't naturally gravitate to talking to people about this stuff. You know, I I don't do small talk. Well, I don't really understand small talk as in chit chat, not small talk as in the language. <laughs> but I don't. So I, I don't naturally have these skills and I'm not good at it. And so Jack's talking about empathy and I just don't know what to do about it. And going to back to TJ's point, it does come down to practice. And you can tell people, right? You can tell people, hey, look, I'm really trying to learn how to empathize better with other people. And so I may do some awkward stuff as I practice this, right? Or can you help me practice this and and just work through it? Because I mean, I've, I've worked with some programmers that are way down on the the far end of the spectrum of this, where they're just, they're absolutely not good at it at all. And I don't want to I don't want people to feel like they're going to get punished for it. It definitely helps if you you know, if you can have some empathy for people. It makes a big difference if people feel like you you identify with them, understand them and you know, can speak to their stuff. And so, even if you're at the far end of that, I mean, any progress you can make toward interacting well with other people is going to serve you extremely well. And it's well worth it. And if you let people know that you're working on that, they will have a lot of empathy for you and they will be willing to help you out. And so just start where you're at. That's that's the other thing, you know. I think sometimes people get into programming and they think, well, I'm a newbie and nobody's going to take me seriously because I'm not a programming genius. Same thing with empathy. Well, I'm trying to interact with people and I'm just not naturally gifted in that area. And so, yeah, you know, I'm going to be limited in my career options because I don't people well. And the reality is, is you can learn a lot of it. It takes practice. It takes work, but you can learn it. And, you know, there are a lot of terrific resources out there that'll help you do it. But the other thing is, and I really want to emphasize this, is, yeah, find people to help you out. Same thing with the technical stuff. If you're trying to learn it, find a mentor, find somebody who's kind of where you're at, where you want to be. It's especially poignant if they've been on the same kind of journey as you to the empathy point. Somebody who's struggled a lot with what you're struggling with and has somehow figured it out. Figure out what they did. Talk to them and have them kind of point you in the right direction. Oh, I learned this, and then I learned this, and then I learned this, right? And so then it's, hey, I want to be a software architect that does React and .NET, and I want this, 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 and this. Go find that person. Hey, I, I want to be a programming manager, but I, I really don't do well with some of the, the people skills. We'll find somebody else who struggled their way through that and then got to that position and then ask them, hey, where did you start, right? I'm really, really struggling in this area. What did you do? And then, yeah get the help of your team and pull through because people like to help people. People oh, like yeah. to feel like they matter. 
And so a lot of this will come out naturally if you're willing to just say, hey, I'm not good at this. I really want to be good at it. I think it will benefit both of us as part of this team. Can you help me out? Yeah, one of the most uh, empowering things you can do is ask for help. People love, absolutely love to give people help. And I got to say, it's interesting in the technical field, and I'm going to run the risk of giving a massive overgeneralization here, but I think that we, it's assumed that programmers don't have great soft skills and lack empathy. So, I, you know, in a certain level, you actually are kind of coming from well behind and, and, and are given the benefit of a lot of doubt when it comes to those kind of things. And if you can build up those skills, then that's a very good place to be because you're going to end up getting more folks communicating with you and getting more knowledge and insight on the team when it comes to new features and stuff like that, because people are going to be, oh, I can talk to that guy about, you know, I, I, you know, her about like what we're going to go build and they'll talk to me and not like be in a hole or whatever, you know, like on their own. So yeah, building up those skills is, is good. Well, and I think yeah. one thing I've learned over the years too, is that when it comes time for promotions or new opportunities or new jobs, the person that gets that job is not always the person that knows React the best or knows the technology the best. In fact, like it's, I mean, there's some relationships relationship to that. It's like usually the people that get promoted aren't untechnically knowledgeable, but usually, or I would say more often than not, it's the soft skills. It's the, the people skills that help yeah. people get ahead more than the actual tech skills. Yeah. Two thoughts on that. I mean, one thing is I've, I've talked to a whole bunch of hiring managers and if it comes down to the guy with bang up technical skills and no soft skills and the guy with passable technical skills and terrific soft skills, they'll hire the guy with soft skills every single time because they won't be a headache and they can train them on the other stuff. One other thing that I just want to throw out there. So I read the this book, Masters of Doom by David Kushner. I don't know if you guys have read that, but it it's basically the story of the group of programmers that built like Commander Keen and Doom and Quake. And what's interesting is, is they had all these different personalities, right? And I, I'm going to just jump straight to the point. You should go read the book because it's really interesting about like the dynamics and the personalities and stuff like that, as well as some of the technology. But the guy that was building the game engines right? He was this genius guy and he would just go off on his own and he would just crank out this engine. But what I find is that that could happen in the 80s, the 90s, early 2000s some. We're just not there anymore, right? Anymore, you're going to be on a team. But the flip side of that is, is that what wound up happening is, is that they wound up splitting up. So John Romero and John McCormick wound up splitting. They actually got rid of John Romero. But as the book progresses, John McCormack starts going, hey, I really wish that John Romero was here because he really understood what I was trying to do and how to take advantage of it. And so what, what it turned out was that the value that John Romero brought was not just his own genius in designing the game levels and things like that, but it was his ability to actually understand and talk to the programmer that didn't have the skills to communicate back out. And you see mm. this occur over and over and over again. And so what, what happens is, is that in our teams, if you have the genius programmer that can't work with other people because they lack the skills, it's not that they're a jerk. Sometimes they're a jerk, but most of the time they just, <laughs> they just don't have the communication skills that they need to adequately say, hey, this is how my part of the system works and here's how we need to interface with it. Or the company doesn't put together proper lines of communication to enable that or bowl, if you don't have that person who kind of has that intuitive idea of how to reach out to that person and how to extract the knowledge from them and take advantage of what they're doing, 
it becomes really, really difficult. And so, yeah, what, what, what you all have said is, is exactly true. And that is that you need somebody in there who can communicate with everybody, who can kind of make everybody shine by understanding where they're at. That comes back to the em- empathy point, but also then enable things to move forward in the way that they need to. Well, that's fantastic. So Chuck, is there anything else that you think that we need to touch on that we haven't covered yet? The only other thing that I would really push on, and this goes back to knowing what to learn, and we talked about it a little bit, is finding a mentor. If you can find a mentor who can kind of give you some of the roadmap, that that makes it a lot easier because sometimes you know where you want to end up. You have a general idea of what skills you need, but you're not really sure what order to pick them up in or you might be missing some pieces. And so just having somebody to kind of walk through things with as a sounding board who has a little more experience than you. And that's the other thing is your your mentor doesn't have to be the guy that invented React, right? It doesn't have to be Jordan Walk. It could just be somebody who's two steps ahead of you on the path that says, oh, by the way, take the fork to the left instead of the right and and just makes it a little bit easier for you that way. Or, hey, this concept was hard for me to understand and then I got this bit of it and then the rest of it made sense. And so I think people is the ultimate hack to all of this is if you can get other people to kind of help you on that journey, kind of be that guide, be uh, Gandalf for your Frodo, then (laughs) you can kind of, it it really makes a big difference because they can smooth out a lot of that path for you. Well, I've got a question. (laughs) <laughs> I've got a question. How do I start a yeah. podcast? <laughs> you got another hour? Yeah. <laughs> Here's how you start I'm a podcast. You ready? You ready? Sure. Yeah. Go to podcastbootcamp.io and sign up. <laughs> there you go. Nice. <laughs> and then do everything I tell you to. You'll have a podcast in four weeks. I love it. I love it. That's a pretty quick turnaround. I'll take there that. There you go. Right. Yeah. Four weeks. So if they want to learn more about how to learn or get in touch with you, Chuck, or find a mentor, where can we find you online? Just about everything's at topendevs.com. I'm actually rebranding devchat.tv to topendevs.com. I'm starting a new show, Top End Devs podcast. And then if you want more in-depth on what I'm working on, I actually have a paid show. It's just part of the way that I support the network. And uh, you can find that at topendevs.com as well. It's going to be the Top End Dev show. And it's just talking about kind of the internal stuff. I'm going to kind of announce publicly stuff when it's ready. And then you can get the behind the scenes. Hey, I'm I'm planning this or I'm working on this, you know, stuff that I'm not necessarily ready to announce or things that I don't really want to publicly get blowback on because <laughs> I've experienced that in the past. So just things like that. Very cool. Very cool. Hey, folks, it's Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to jump on real quick and let you know that I am putting together a podcasting course. I get asked all the time. I've been coaching people for the last six months. How do you start a podcast? How do you put it together? What do I need in order to get it going, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Um, I've put together the curriculum, and I did it through coaching a whole bunch of people, and now I want to share it with you. You can go check out the course. It's actually going to be a masterclass. It's going to be a four-week masterclass where I actually walk you through the entire process of launching a terrific-sounding podcast and putting together content that people want to listen to. And you can find it at podcastbootcamp.io. All right. This is the part of the show where we move into picks. These are things that we find cool. They could be shows, products, books, etc. Jack, would you like to start us off with a pick for today? Sure. I'm going to pick a course that I took off of Coursera on public speaking. So I actually think it's a, it was a good one. I've done a couple of courses on public speaking, and I think it was a nice one. You can do it remote. 
And uh, you basically submit videos and then folks give you feedback on those videos. And that's really critical too when it comes to public speaking is you got to find folks who are going to tell you straight up that that was not great and here's how to improve. And you also have to ha kind of cultivate within yourself a sense of taste about like, ooh, that was a bit overblown, that, you know, whatever, you know, and then kind of always be improving when it comes to uh, your own public speaking skills. Very relevant and very timely. Good one. <laughs> so TJ, what would you like to share with us today? I'm going to pick a book called Ember, uh, An Ember in the Ashes. It is a four, it's actually a series. It's a four-part series. And I've been reading the first book and I was hooked. I almost like last night I stayed up past midnight and I was, then I looked down and it said I had two hours left and then did one of those like debated whether to finish it. And I almost did, but I, midnight is even still kind of late for me, but it's very gripping. It's, it's a fantasy series. It's set sort of like, say like almost like a Roman era. So a fictional world. And it's one of those series where there's bits of you know, magical creatures that have thought to have been extinct, but coming back like traces of it and a lot of mysteries that are slowly revealed. So those sorts of books are your thing. It's a really fun series. So I'll, if the if the rest of the series is good, I'll pick uh, the whole series later on. So I just ordered the audio book right now. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I mean, I have a drive coming up, so I might as well. Yeah. There you go. Cool. Chuck, what do you have for us? So I just finished a book yesterday called The Road Back to You. It's a book about the Enneagram, if you're familiar with that. It's something that's kind of made the the circles in uh, Christian circles. And the book is written by a pastor. And so it does have Christian references in it, if that's a turnoff to anybody, sorry. But what I found interesting about the book, and it's not in your face, there's not a ton of Christian stuff in it, but it does show up in there. But it talks about nine different personality types that are kind of on this uh, wheel. And if you're trying to understand other people, if you want to kind of build empathy, uh, the way that it describes each personality type is is really really interesting and and they kind of exaggerate the the strengths and weaknesses of each type so you kind of get it and what's funny is is they start with eight and they go eight nine one two and so i'm listening and i'm listening for them to describe me right and they get to one which is the perfectionist and and i'm just sitting there going okay so they're talking about my wife and then they keep going, you know, they get to five, which is the, I can't remember what, what exactly that was called, but it's the person who consumes information to kind of control where they're at. And as a defense mechanism, having information and then spouting information, my son does this. So anyway, so it's kind of interesting. It's like, oh, that's why he does, drives me nuts because the information he spouts is useless video game <laughs> trivia. But it's like, oh, it's a defense mechanism. He's afraid of being rejected. This is how he sounded cool to his friends. So this is what worked for him as a defense mechanism. And it actually got him what he wanted. Right. And I'm, I'm listening to it and I'm going, yeah, I do a lot of this stuff. I really, you know, I really identify as, as a five. And then they moved on to six and then seven, seven's the enthusiast. They're the ones that are kind of the thrill seekers, the adventurers, the what's like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm always on to the next new thing. And, and I'm looking for the next exciting thing. And as I listened to that, I was like, <laughs> I'm not a five. I'm a seven. I'm an, I'm an enthusiast. And so that, that was the thing that, you know, as we were talking about this, I realized that a lot of the people I talked to, the, the sixes are kind of in the middle. They're kind of the pessimists. The, they're not always pessimists, but they, they either want to follow along or they want to react to a public figure or something like that. And, and it's not a perfect analogy. And you tend to pick up traits from some of the other personality types to fill out who you are. But it was really interesting to me to just kind of see, oh, that's 
that's why I do the things I do. Like they, they explained it and I thought about it and I was like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly why I do what I do. Not just that I do it, but that I fill it out. That's why I do what I do. So it was really interesting to me to understand myself, but it was also really interesting for me. If you're looking for this empathy thing and trying to figure out, hey, you know, why are these people the way that they are? I think this is an excellent book to pick up because it will explain to you, hey, there are people like this and there are people like this and there are people like this. And then they tend to exhibit traits from these other personality types in these ways. And yeah, it turns out that like sevens, when things are going pretty well, they actually exhibit a lot of traits of fives. And that's why I thought I might be a five when I heard that at first. And so you start picking up some of this stuff. And so it was helpful for me to understand myself. And it was really helpful for me to start understanding some of my kids and my wife. And so, yeah, if you're looking for a book about understanding other people, I, this is a great book. It's The Road Back to You. It's by, uh, let me open up Audible real quick. Uh, it's by Ian Morgan Cron and Suzanne Stable. And Ian Morgan Cron is actually the narrator for the book, too, in Audible. So Nice. That sounds very enlightening. My pick for today is going to be much simpler than everyone else's. It is a Yeti mug. <laughs> nice. I am very recently... Cold water gotten, or hot drink. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. I've been using a plastic tumbler for probably the past five or six years. And it finally, I dropped it. It broke. So I decided to buy a Yeti instead and see if it li really lived up to the hype. And it did. It kept water cold overnight on my nightstand. So... I am, I I believe now. I get it. <laughs> and then you get really, a metallic taste? That no, not at get. all. Oh, not at go. all. Nice. If you really want it to stay hot or stay cold for way longer than it should, otherwise, this is, this is a thing that you need to get. So go check out the Yeti gear. I know it's a little bit more expensive, but it seems to be worth every penny so far. <laughs> yeah, we use one for hot drinks and it's shockingly good. Like it feels like it's doing some sort of magic inside. <laughs> yeah. My understanding is, is that like the layer in between, it's not insulated, it's vacuum. And oh, so it no. literally does not transmit heat through it. And so, yeah, it'll stay cold or hot forever. And they are really nice. They're also expensive. Oh my gosh. Yes. They are also <laughs> they not are. there. It's like Yeti's a thing up in the Pacific Northwest. You know, everybody's got their Yeti cooler. And you, know, you go, to, go to the store and you want to get one. You're like, oh, my God. Wow. That's, <laughs> wow. Okay. That's a lot of money. Yeah. I'm definitely not ready to upgrade to a cooler or anything like that. But the mug, which is, you know, somewhere between $25 and $35, I, I can spring for that because it seems yeah, like sure. it'll last forever. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you again, Chuck. It's been a pleasure to have you on React Roundup today. It's always fun. And we will see you all on the next episode. All right. Next out, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.